0: Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com slash app to download.
1: Thursday night, we held a live How to Win 2024 special. It was a conversation at the 92nd Street Y hosted by MSNBC's own Katie Turr. We previewed Super Tuesday and talked through a lot of the issues facing Biden's reelection efforts. We had some really interesting exchanges and a bunch of fun. Here's that conversation.
2: It's really great to be back at the 92nd Street. Why? It's especially great to be back with Jen Palmieri and Claire McCaskill because this is exactly the kind of audience that's tuned in. They understand politics. They want more. They want to know more. And you are the kind of people that can give them insight that no one else can because you have been in the room talking about how to win and then winning. Which is great for and sometimes this losing, election season. But mostly
3: winning. Mostly winning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's what we are. Um, there's a, a grab bag of headlines that we can start with. I mean, we can start with immunity. We can start with Super Tuesday, which I know everyone's waiting for because who knows what will happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can start with abortion. I, I, I let you decide. Can I start with Michigan?
3: Yes. This is Claire's. This is Claire's. I'm on a rant. Yeah, she's on a rant. Go for Go it. Go on your rant. Uh,
1: I'm going to make you feel better. In 2012, the very last time we had an incumbent Democratic president, there was exactly 10.9% of the voters in Michigan who voted in the Democratic presidential primary uncommitted. Now we have an incumbent Democratic president, and we had 13% vote uncommitted. And Joe Biden got 78% of the vote in Tlaib's district. Now, why is everyone acting like this is a huge problem? It's not. It's not a huge problem. He had a great night. Twice as many people voted against Donald Trump in Michigan than voted against Joe Biden. And that's counting both the uncommitted and those lost souls that voted for Marianne Williamson and the lost (laughs) souls that think Dean, whatever his name is. Is a good She'll idea.
3: Phillips, yeah, so
1: I, I really think the coverage of it, and I, I'm, I think even the network I love went a little far with gloom and doom of the uncommitted and oh, this is a big problem. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I think it's great people express their opinion. I think the Biden White House handled it perfectly in terms of not denigrating or somehow putting down the people who felt the need to express themselves. I don't need to tell this audience that this is a really hard subject that people feel passionately about for all the right reasons. But don't panic about the uncommitted voters in Michigan. There are other things you should panic about, like the Supreme (laughs) Court, but uh, don't panic about
2: what happened in Michigan. Yeah. So what does the Biden team do about Michigan? Because that that topic, the response by Israel in Gaza, is one that is divisive and it's angering voters in Michigan, but a lot of young voters as well. And if this election is very close and very
3: well could be, How does the Biden team address those concerns? I think, you know, first of all, in Michigan, just one other thing, in addition to what Claire said, is that, you know, I thought it was important that the campaign that, you know, the the, whole campaign was launched to do this and they spent money. They got 100,000 votes. I I think a lot of those 100,000 don't certainly don't want to be voting for Trump and probably want to find their way back to Biden. And this is sort of the opening in that, of that conversation. Um, it's not as if the Biden team didn't understand they had a very serious political problem along with a very serious geopolitical problem. But when I look at that is Biden's big vulnerability right now is that issue and whether or not it turns voters off. Trump's vulnerabilities are not something he can do anything about. There's right, you know, there's just like that's like that is um and there's eight months between now and uh when when we vote. I think in the next week, State of the Union's on Thursday night. I think between now and the state of the union, they're certainly looking for a moment to have, you know, the president said the other day at 30 Rock getting ice cream that he thought um there'd be a ceasefire within a week. It doesn't seem like that's gonna happen, but they for both for Reason, substantive reasons, and then I and I think political reasons. They will they will have to get more aggressive.
2: What does that look like? Is it is it standing up to Benjamin Netanyahu more aggressively? I know it's Richard same. Haas he's gotta go. has been arguing that Biden should try to give a speech in front of the Knesset himself. Yeah,
1: it' possible, but I think most importantly, he's got to at some point in time. Um, I think he is having tough conversations with Bibi Netanyahu behind the scenes. I think Bibi Netanyahu knows that Joe Biden is not pleased at how this has happened. And keep in mind that Hamas is sending rockets into Israel every day. And the reason that Israelis are not being killed is the Iron Dome. And keep in mind the Iron Dome is there because the United States funded the vast majority of it. So there is this intertwining of their national security with our support that most people in Israel recognize. And I think I just think Bibi Netanyahu is there because he is formed a coalition government with some of the most extreme people. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Most extreme people in Israel. And I think Joe Biden has to stand up to him more aggressively. And I think that will help.
2: All Publicly. right, let's, let's talk about um, something easier. Let's talk about abortion, yeah. right? <laughs> Let's talk about women's rights in America. Yeah. Um, abortion, back in the news, I was told by a, a Biden advisor maybe six months ago that the election will be voted in Biden's favor. He will win because of the issue of abortion. It, w- it will come down to abortion. There will be decisions in 24, close to election day, that will galvanize voters, Is that going to happen? I believe so. Yeah, I do. I think that.
1: I I I believe that's the difference. And the the IVF decision takes it to a whole new level. Because, uh, you know, we have a personhood bill in Missouri, uh, no exceptions for rape or incest. It's government-mandated birth for rape victims. And IVF definitely would be just as illegal in Missouri as the Supreme Court found in Alabama. Some forms of contraception are illegal right now in Missouri. Republicans won't admit that, but that's what the law says. And so... Now all these bills are being introduced in Missouri to try to like somehow carve out an exception for IVF. But they have put a line in the sand about this and they've been very, very extreme. I mean, the dog did catch the bus.
2: And I I think they're in big trouble. Did the dog catch the bus? Because there was a unanimous consent vote to protect IVF in the Senate, and it was shot down by a Republican. Correct. It, because they said it went too far
1: or whatever. So they are not being smart about this, the Republicans. I don't think they know how to get out of this canyon. They're in a boxed canyon on this subject. And I don't know think they know how to get out. I don't think they realize. And maybe I feel more passionately about it than the women in the audience. But I'm willing to bet
2: yeah, the women that. in
1: this audience feel as strongly <laughs> as I do about it. And I feel really
3: strongly about it. I mean, just fills you, it just fills you with rage. And it's just, I don't think, I mean, the Republicans have handled the IVF thing badly. First of all, they were paralyzed. The, that decision came out and they were paralyzed. Trump didn't say anything about it for a few days. Um, that finally the, you know, the Republican Senate c- campaign committee came out with advice that their candidates should um, say that they're for IVF and they're for, uh, they're for IVF protection. Um, and then... You know, a week later, there's a bill on the Senate floor and a Republican senator, a woman, stands up to object to it. But moreover, even if they found their way to somehow getting around to supporting legislation to protect IVF, it's like we all know you're about controlling women and taking away women's rights. And there is no, you know, uh, in Virginia last fall, you all remember this, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican governor there, he tried to— Win back, win a you know take over the uh dem- the legislature, um get get the, get a super majority, and um ran on a what he thought was a moderate ban It's fifteen weeks, poll there was polling that showed it that was considered to be okay, but people. He got not only did he not win, the Democrats took the House back like the It was just rejected across the board. I think when Republicans open their mouth and start talking about this, we just know they're talking about that. They're taking away women's rights. They're talking about controlling women. And it doesn't end with just turning it back over to the states. Something like IVF is going to pop up and we know something else crazy is going to pop up. And I, you know, I think that it will I, you know, I don't even know that anything needs to change between now and November for Biden for this to be. Um, you know, I think it is the most important issue for Biden is, you know, I I don't know that he would I think he probably would still win even if Roe was 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 standing. But wow, it's hard to win if you're a Republican. Does he do nationally. a good job of talking about
2: it? I know no, this is a Kamala. Not, but the issue. vice president
3: does. Does he and need to do better? I don't, I don't know. You know, we're dealing with humans here, right? And I noticed last week she did a it was it was perfectly timed. They didn't know about the IVF decision, but vice president. Gretchen Whitmer, Congresswoman Hillary Scolton, who represents Grand Rapids, were in Michigan before the primary. Trust women, as big as this, behind their head. I mean, it was like the perfect photo. And it happened to be that it was the day after the IVF decision came out. The president put a statement out and he said, the vice president and I are fighting for your rights. You know, what we want to know is that team is fighting for our rights. And she's phenomenal at it. You know, you know that he's going to do everything he can to back it. You know, he he may not be as good at talking about that as other issues, but I don't think that's going to really, I don't think that's really going to matter. Does this change the dynamic in red states? Does it does it get
2: enough? I mean, say there might be women who favor abortion, but are not going to go far enough to vote for a Democrat just on the issue of abortion. Are there couples in these states that want to have a baby
3: and can't have a baby? And does it change their minds? Yeah, like young couples that think I am no longer in control of whether or not. Hold on. I can't can't have have a family now. I can't have a family, or if I do get pregnant, I can't. I mean, Claire, what do you think? This is- well, I happen
2: to
1: live in a red state. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think what it is doing in red states, it's making people realize that state legislative races matter. I think there's a tendency of most Americans to focus on presidential races, governor's races, U.S. Senate races, maybe congressional races, depending on how much money is raised and spent. But I think most Americans don't pay any attention who they're electing to the state legislature. And the Koch brothers, a long time ago, about 25 years ago, realized that that was where they could really make their mark. And they spent a lot of money on an organization called ALEC. And ALEC began bringing legislators to these conferences and whining and dining them and presenting them with legislation that had been written for them. And it was all very, very conservative stuff. And they started working on gerrymandering state legislative districts because they control districting for congressional districts. And so they really, really got way out ahead of the Democratic Party on this. And as a result, states have gone to, red states have gone to super majorities. I mean, the Democrats in the Missouri state Senate can meet in a minivan. And it is um, and and it's very hard to to legislate with any kind of power from a minivan. It's 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 hard to haul your kids in a minivan. It's very hard to legislate from a minivan. So I, I do think that it is waking people up that they have to pay attention to these races. And I do think you will see state legislatures all across the country picking up seats. I'm not saying they'll take majorities, but I think they'll pick up seats in red states. Um, what about the Senate? I, I, we're in trouble in the Senate. Sorry. <laughs> It'll be hard. I mean, we, we, uh, unless... Okay, here's my scenario that I am going to say for you tonight. If justice continues to have problems with his finances in West Virginia... He's having trouble making payrolls. He is on the verge of bankruptcy. He can't pay his bills. Now, he's been able to kind of finesse his way through that with that adorable dog he takes everywhere that, frankly, kind of looks like him. Have you seen his dog? No, I haven't. He's a big, fat, full dog he takes everywhere. Kind of looks like him. And um, he, if Schumer talks Manchin into running as an independent in West Virginia, that is possible that that would come back in play. But let's assume it's not. So then that means we have to run the, run the whole table, plus beat a very popular moderate Republican anti-Trump governor in Maryland uh, to, to hold Claire on. made
3: quite a bet today with Michael Steele that that yeah, would happen. Yeah, I, I bet
1: that won't happen. I don't think Hogan will win. And to win the majority, we have to either win Texas or Florida. So um, pay attention in those two states. Take a look at Colin Alred. In my opinion, you should take a look at him. I think he's raised a lot of money. Uh, Ted Cruz is not the most popular guy in town. They have wildfires in Texas today, and everyone is saying he's probably on a plane to Cancun. Um, so, um, you know, it, it's a very, very tough mat for the Democrats in
2: the Senate. Wouldn't he be going somewhere cooler because it's hot there? Yeah, it's true, but he's partial to Cancun. Um, Okay, so you need West Virginia. You got to convince Manchin to run as an independent. I didn't even think that that was on the table. I think Claire just put it That's on the table. That's why you it's have a great idea. Here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you need Texas. Got to have need Texas. Florida. Or, or Florida. Florida. Texas both. or Florida. And Maryland. Yeah. And Maryland. Yeah, I. I, I and mean, we have to win
1: Ohio. And we have to win Montana. Yeah. And we have to win Pennsylvania. And we have to win Nevada.
2: And we have to win Arizona. I know we want to talk about immunity and we're going to get there, but let's talk about immigration. Both um, President Biden and Donald Trump were at the border today. Um, President Biden trying to say that Republicans shot down the the bipartisan immigration deal that they were working on so hard that the Republicans really demanded. That was frankly more conservative than liberal. Um, And President Trump just saying it's all Biden's fault,
3: everything. Uh, Where does the immigration issue fall with voters? So I think that I'm uh, I think today went really well. And I was a little nervous because for weeks I've been because it's easy when you're in the cheap seats to call up like Ben LeBolt, the White House communications director and be like, you guys should show some guts and go to the border. And he's like, we're not doing that. And then they like end up doing that. And I was like, oh, shit, I hope this like goes OK. And uh, I thought it went great. And, and you know because it was it was he Biden said, I'm, I'm going to go. Trump goes. You're like, oh, great. How's this going to go? And Biden performed. Great, great speech, great visuals, you know, and, and and when I and then and then Trump was, you know, Trump talked about a woman that was killed uh, uh, by someone, uh, you know, who uh, by a migrant who came here illegally um, and, you know, he tried to make it about that. But then he also called Gavin Newsom, Governor Newsom and, you know, did a lot of other weird things. I I think the border is a concern for voters When you look at the immigration numbers, who do you think can handle immigration better? Trump outperforms Biden by, uh, like, multitudes, you know, uh, 30 points or whatever. Biden does not need to catch Trump on immigration. He will never do that. But he needed to show America that he understood that there was a problem at the border and that he had done as much as he could do about it. And the Republicans were standing in the way for political issue, for political gain. And the whole, you know, it's really too bad that the bipartisan bill on the border fell apart, but it was great that it fell apart in such a spectacularly public fashion with Trump saying, do not pass this bill. I don't want to give Biden a victory. And I think, um, you know, there was a poll today. I saw that people, 63% of the people in the poll said they blamed House Republicans for not passing the border bill. So I think Biden needed to go, you know, he's team democracy, team get it done, team government can work, and Trump is team chaos. And so I don't think it's like, so Biden doesn't have to prove I'm really tough on immigration so much as I have this problem under control and they're trying to politicize everything to, to prop up their extreme MAGA candidate who has an extreme MAGA agenda. We're going to take a quick break, but when we're back, more from our How to Win 2024 special live from the 92nd Street Y.
0: Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC, understand more.
3: Do you have a sense of where Arizona might fall this year? It's one of the states to be worried about, you know, Arizona, and Nevada, the southwest states um, are tough and they uh, there's a lot of um, movement. They're both transient states. Demographics can get more difficult. So I think one thing that helps Democrats in Arizona, I spent some time there in 2022, is how big the stop the steal stuff was sort of searing there. And I really think that's why Carrie Lake did not end up winning, even though, uh, you know, I'm grateful that Governor Hobbs won. She was not the dynamic candidate that Carrie Lake was. And, you know, I spent time in Maricopa County with Maricopa County Board of Supervisors that are like dealing with all of the crazy cyber ninjas and everything that they did to really protect the vote. And that seemed to... It, same thing in Pennsylvania. You know, places where Stop the Steal was a big deal, it went deep into uh, voters' psyches, and they and it seems to give, and that seems to kind of give Democrats an advantage there. Too.
2: Okay, so if we're talking about Stop the Steal, I think that gives us a good opening to talk about presidential immunity. The Supreme Court decided to take up the issue. How do you read that? Do you read it as partisan interference? They're they're running interference for for Donald Trump, or do you read it as This is a Supreme Court that wants to be the final word on an issue as central, as foundational, as does the president have to follow the same laws as everybody else?
1: Well, first of all, they didn't take it on that broad issue.
2: They took it on whether or not
1: he has immunity for official acts. And then it would have to go back to determine whether or not what the president did for a factual determination as to whether or not what he did were official acts. So they didn't do the broad taking of it. Um, I am cynical. Call me cynical about the Supreme Court at this point. Um, I believe that the Dobbs decision was leaked by the right in order to seal in the votes on Dobbs because Roberts was busy working to try to get Something less than Dobbs, something less than a complete return to the states, and um, this a number of different people have reported this from you know that have pretty good sources inside the Supreme Court. So I'm cynical about a couple of the folks on the Supreme Court. Um, I won't name any names, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> um, uh, I won't name any names, Samuel Alito. <laughs> um, so I I I believe that. Trump won a huge victory yesterday because I don't believe there's
2: any way that case is tried before November. What does it do to voters? Does it, does it, I mean, there are a contingent of voters who say that they won't vote for somebody who is um, convicted uh, in a court of law. And those voters might have gotten that um, had this gone to trial. There's also a, a contingent of voters who think that he really needs to be tried does this
3: motivate them to come out more or were they already motivated to vote? First of all, it's like it's just so dispiriting because I'm not, um I'm not as cynical as Claire. I can still, even though I've been in politics for 30 years, be a little naive. And I thought even the Dobbs court would be worried about their own reputation and not and treat this with, you know, and not play games here. And they did. And so it's sort of like a gut punch just to just to real think are we already too late, right? Is this, are we too late with this case? Are we too late with having a Supreme Court that's gonna rig democracy? Is it just all, you know, that, so that just feels awful. Um, But I think what the Biden campaign thinks is like, okay, everyone, this is it. (laughs) We are the only game in town. No one else is going to save us. It is going to have to be the voters. There are no magic court cases. There's no, you know, there's 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 nothing that else that can overturn anything here. Um, he is going to be the nominee. Biden's going to be the nominee. And we're going to have to beat him at the ballot box. So it's sort of clarifying in that way. Bums me out because there was so many voters, you know, in the Republican primaries, like in Iowa and New Hampshire, that said they wouldn't vote for him if they're convicted. I think what if I'm the Biden campaign, I'm thinking, okay, I know something about those people. They are worried that this guy doesn't have the integrity to be president of the United States, does not adhere to the Constitution. I can still make that argument to them, whether the trial happens or not. Maybe the trial's going on while, like in the last couple of months of the campaign, that, you know, that seems kind of dicey too. I don't know. I think that would be a, a horrible thing to have happen. I think it would help Trump. Because of just, like, the
1: people, how people would rally to his side. You know, I just, if you look at the polling, Donald Trump was not doing that well. Remember, there was a time, Katie, I know you remember this, when Ron DeSantis was polling above Donald Trump.
2: That's when he wasn't in the news.
1: Yes, before anybody knew who he was. Ron DeSantis was, you know, an okay guy. And then we all figured out, oh, not him. Um, but, But the point is, is that when he got indicted, if you look at his polling numbers, he consolidated and got back some of the Biden voters when he started getting indicted. Now, I'm an old prosecutor. I find that very counterintuitive. But if your whole thing is grievance, if your whole outlook on life is that you've been victimized by your government and the government needs to be trashed and the institutions need to be trashed because they've been screwing you over your whole life. If that's your mindset, then when the government comes after your guy, then my God, he's our guy and his numbers got stronger. Now, imagine if for two months before the election, he's sitting in a courtroom every day. He's campaigning from that courtroom. He is the ultimate victim. This is the ultimate grievance. This is government run amuck. They're going after our nominee. They're trying to put him in jail before the election. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm afraid it would help him. So I think if it wasn't going to happen in May, it needs to happen after he's defeated Tell me why you think
2: it would be... Tell me why you think that wouldn't have the same effect if it happened in May. Because I think... If
1: it feels like—and that's why there's a justice policy about not announcing criminal investigations 60 days before elections. Now, that policy does not specifically say you can't try cases. And keep in mind, the Justice Department can't control when he's tried. The judge will control when he's tried. When he's tried. But the point is, is that it—because it's so—and and keep in mind, the people who will decide this election, they won't start paying attention until September. I mean, we forget that. I mean, we live it every day, Right. The low-information voters in swing states are who decide, who controls Congress, and who is elected president. And if the only time they tune in, the guy sitting in a courtroom with the government coming after him, that would be something that would be startling to most Americans, especially ones who haven't followed every single thing that happened. So I just worry about it. I think it's better— um, hopefully Alvin Bragg, can you know, I mean, it, you would think a criminal trial about paying off a porn star would be enough in America, <laughs> right? Um, maybe he gets convicted for that, and, and that helps. Um, but because it's New York, it, you know, it's, it's harder. I mean, most people out in the Heartland, I love New York. I live here a little bit. I love California. I visit there a lot. But you got to understand, in the Midwest,
2: if you're from New York or California, you're not really American. <laughs> <laughs> Um, God, I was born in California and I live in New yeah. York. Um, I guess I'm. Nobody you got a problem. I You're an
3: elite. I'm in <laughs> LA, even, Katie. Oh, I mean, my oh gosh. gosh.
2: God. Um, so, w- if you are living in, in the so called heartland, how do you view this election? What's your issue? I think um, your issue
1: is how expensive food is. Food and fuel are the two F's that matter. It doesn't, you know. It matters do, to
2: Californians and New Yorkers as well. It does.
1: <laughs> but it really, it, I mean, it, the issues they care about are those issues. I do think that the swing voters, the independent voters, now care more about immigration than they have in the last four or five cycles. Because you see it more. And, and our politics have all been nationalized to a great extent. So what they're looking at on Fox or Newsmax or what's the other one? Is it still even there? OA, whatever it is. not. Yeah. It's
2: not on something carried.
1: Um, if, if, you know, if, if that's what you see at the barbershop, that's what you see at the local VFW hall, um, then you do think the country's being overrun by marauders that want to take your job and hurt you. And so uh, I, I think they care about immigration. I think they care about how much their food costs. They are noticing that their 401Ks are doing better. So that helps. Um, but, and they care about whether or not they are going to be criticized about seeing things differently than many people in my party see it. For example, um, you know, I'm a, and I have a great voting record and I'm a big believer that we should never penalize anybody for anything by who they love or how they identify. It's their business. And I don't think the government has any role in it. But to a lot of people where I live, in the rural areas of Missouri, they feel threatened by the changes they see culturally. How does the Biden team combat that? You know, he's a pretty middle-of-the-road kind of guy. Um, he's, you know, I mean, if you look at the way Donald Trump has lived his life in terms of his moral integrity. and Yeah, but
2: that as, that doesn't matter, clearly, because they, they continue to, to not vote to the for Trumpers, him. Trumpers,
1: but it does to the people who voted for me back... Once upon a time, you know, it, it matters to people who um, voted for Joe Biden last time. And there weren't I mean, he got killed in Missouri. But the point is that it matters to America that he is a moral man and that he cares about people and that he wants us to be inspirational and aspirational rather than just driving everybody to the lowest. I mean, that is like
3: what's at the foundation of. Yeah. Yeah. Please clap about that. That's, but that is I mean, an, an, I know the campaign feels this way, that that is at the foundation of, you know, what what insulates him to some degree with America's people know he's a good man. They know what he's been through with his family. They know how much he loves his family. They know um, that he's like a decent person. And I think without that, you know, it's like, well, why he not doing better. It's like that, that doesn't mean that people don't actually see that and value that in him and find that that part of him in particular, the fam, the father, I think relatable. And I think that kind of helps. It's not a direct answer to what you're saying, Katie, but it, but it's all like, all of this is a composite picture of what people take away. And I think that sort of blunts some of that. Given that, given that he's a moral man, that he's been in the public
2: eye, people know him, he's a father, uh, he lost a son, he's dealing with another with addiction, which the Biden team thinks is is a relatable um, issue that a lot of families understand, which is why they don't think Hunter Biden's a liability for them. and that he's facing a guy who tried to overturn an election, who, um, you know, is, is being tried for trying to pay off a, a porn star who was a New York elite. I mean, all the all the most liberal caricature uh, characteristics of anybody you can paint, you can paint Donald Trump with. Given that Biden is the opposite of him, how is
3: Biden not absolutely trouncing him? Because, I mean, I talked to a lot of Trump voters and, you know, this, like, these are the things they say. He says what I believe. You know, he says what I think. He has the courage to speak the truth. I remember in 2016 talking to, you were probably there, Katie, at the terrible Harvard, like, after event. But I talked to somebody who was on one of the other Republican campaigns. And they said, in retrospect, we lost the day Trump went down the elevators. And he said you know, immigrants coming against Mexicans are coming here. you knows some of them rapists and criminals. Some of them I suspect are very good people. And he said, you, he's like, I heard that. And I thought, wow, that's so cynical. So political. He's like appealing to the worst of us. And he's like, and a lot of Republican voters heard that and said, that guy's got the courage to say the truth. And I will tolerate bad behavior from him because he's the only one who has the courage to say the truth. And then what I have found in talking to Trump voters since then, compounded upon this, is he got it done. He did all the things that everyone say they're going to do and they never do. I mean, this is the things people tell me. The 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 Capitol, the the embassy is now in Jerusalem. You're like, okay, lady, at an Iowa caucus event, like... That's a big, you know, evangelical lady at a caucus event in Iowa. That's a big issue for you, is it? Oh yeah, and um, and then you know, and 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 abortion, you know, Roe v. Wade is such a huge deal, and and so they, so it's like he really delivered, and he really is something different, and he really, and he says what I think, and that is that connection, and it it does speak to some sort of like a lot that's lacking in American culture and what government delivers for people, for sure. But it is, but they get a lot of value from that exchange of grievance.
1: And let me just say that one of the things that's most disturbing to me is I ran for political office for 40 years. I started very, very young. I held a lot of lower offices and worked my way up the old-fashioned way. And I was taught that if you lied, there were consequences, And I believe all the people I served with, Democrats and Republicans, believed if you lied, there were consequences. Donald Trump had a different idea. He said, lie boldly and repeatedly and say the same lies over and over again. And if you do, they will believe you. And that has happened in America. When you see that 82 percent of the people who voted for Donald Trump in South Carolina believe that he won the election. That's all you need to know about the value that he has gotten out of lying. And, you know, I went off and got a lot of viral shit for it that I went off and talked about how the New York Times doing a fact check on Joe Biden. Oh, please. If they did fact checks on Donald Trump, it would be the entire first section of the New York Times every single day. So... And now I see other politicians doing the same thing. You know, they are now believing that this is the way to do it. You just lie boldly and often, and people will consume it, and they will believe it, if they believe that you see the world the way they see the world.
3: Yeah, (sighs)
2: yeah. I know. You're bringing me back to 2016. Yes. you were there covering all the
3: lies. I was. I remember. I was trying to fact check. I think
2: I did a 17-minute hit on Chris Hayes' show. I think the producers were like, can she please shut up? <laughs> um, but I was trying to fact check. Uh, anyway, so Biden accomplishments. Um, let's talk about, he's done a lot. He's done a lot. And, I, and a I've lot. written it down because, and the list is yeah. longer than this, but I have to read it because the list is already this long. A Bipartisan infrastructure bill, the Chips and Science Act. He's relieved... Quite a bit of student debt, although not an entirely, because the Supreme Court got um, stood in the way. Uh, expanded Medicare. The signups for Obamacare hit record highs. Employment is unemployment numbers incredibly low. Wage gains. Inflation is down. We're gonna. It looks like have a soft landing. Who would have thought? Um, continued vaccine distribution. COVID is is under control. Uh, there's the Inflation Reduction Act as well, not to mention the some American guns Rescue Plan. There, there's there's guns. some guns legislation. I know I'm forgetting other things. Judges, lots of judges. Lots of judges. He has done
3: a lot. I mean, I worked for Barack Obama and Bill Clinton for very long. I mean, he has gotten more done in three years than either president that I adore got in 16. Can he sell it? People, I think that it's starting. It feels like it's starting to break through. His approval rating is starting to tick up. And one thing you know, what I hear from Trump voters all the time is 401ks. You know that is a big deal. The Fed is a very big deal. When people talk about economic policy, they think Joe Biden's in charge of the Fed. I think that they, you know, they don't like right. They think that's that they think that's Biden economic policy. I understand like why that happens, but it does feel that it is setting in now that people's that the economy is is better and it's gonna and it's and. And it's and they're they don't fe- they're like loosening up on the fear, and so I think that that is going to start to break through. I will also say, however, that Emmanuel Macron was reelected with double digits and a thirty-six percent approval rating. I just think it's a really crappy time to be a leader. There's like distrust, dysfunction, you know, anxiety from COVID uh, that still lingers there. It's just like a really. Tough time. Joe Biden has the highest approval rating of any Western Democratic leader, um, and so he may—he his approval rating may never get that much, that higher above forty. This stuff might not sink in for a while. Um, I don't think it's from a lack of trying. I really don't. I think it's how people are feeling. Our economy is doing better than any of the the European Anybody, nations. Yeah, anyone yeah. really?
1: We have the strongest economy in the world. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: So I asked the question because. Um, Bidenomics is not the answer. However. Well, I asked the question because I, I don't know if anyone heard this, um, knows this guy as Recline Klein and listens to his podcast. Did you not read my very <laughs> thoughtful, exhaustive response to Ezra
3: Klein? I <laughs> did. And
2: this is why I'm going to talk about it. So Ezra Klein had a podcast the other day talking about how he thinks the Democrats have a better option than Joe Biden. Joe Biden needs to step aside and they, they there should be an open convention and the party should choose somebody that can definitely win in November. He's not sure that Joe Biden can win, not because he can't do the job of president, but because he can't campaign for it. And ultimately, what this country does in an election, it's a popularity contest and they need someone, they need to hear someone speak and sell themselves. And his argument is Joe Biden is not that person. He he's, I don't think Ezra Klein's ever run for office. I think
1: he's totally overestimating how much the candidate—I mean, I got beat by a guy who hardly campaigned at all. I mean, I was killing myself going to every rural county, you know, talking about all the stuff I'd gotten done, and, you know, he had a whole bunch of money and said I'd been around too long. That was pretty much the campaign. I she, you know, she's served long enough. It's time for something new. And that was pretty much it, and he beat me. So I—listen— I think they this is a this is a binary choice. There it's too late. As she and I have said on the podcast a number of times, Jen and I have talked about this. Go listen to him. It is too late. We can all talk about what could have maybe should have happened a year ago or 14 months ago or whatever. He's in it, he's staying in it, he's gonna get the nomination, and he's running against a horrible, horrible leader.
3: Yeah. And, the um, you know, I think, I mean, Ezra, it's Ezra's a great writer and he's a great observer of things, but he's never worked on a presidential campaign. Anybody who worked on a presidential campaign, if you talked to anybody for five minutes, they would explain to him why, first of all, why he's suggesting like an open, uh, open convention is is a, is a very bad idea. First of all, that would mean uh, Biden and Harris have raised $130 million. It's the most money any Democrat has ever had, any common Democrat has ever had at this point. That would not, that could not be spent. <laughs> that would just go away um, until, until August. Some of that could be brought back once they're nominee. me. It would mean there was no coordinated campaigns built in these, in these elect, in these states until after, until the Democrats had their convention in late August. It would mean that, you know, and they're doing a good job right now, building organizations and and and, and doing all that. And it's like, we're all sort of united and being against Trump. And we just need to start building that, building that infrastructure to do it. Um so there's just sort of practical and then also, and then that then this person would have a first of all, we'd have a bloody, terrible convention. and then, um, that this person would have eleven weeks to run a campaign against Donald Trump. Okay, does that sound like a responsible all the good but idea? you just said that most
2: <laughs> the, the the vote the vote will be decided by the the people who start paying attention
3: in the last. It's couple true. Months. But you but you got to build the the infrastructure is so important, and Doesn't it's like the party look at, build the infrastructure though. <laughs> no, look at no, not without a candidate. It's just really they no, have no, money no. It's like it's not a candidate. It's just like it can't. They don't have the money. That that money won't go anywhere to anybody. You can't raise money without a candidate, and it. You know, you need something. What if he you needs, bowed out? You need out a leader. You convention. need somebody to a rally behind. What? First what if you bowed all, out at the convention? Katie, that's a smoke. I'm filled. just. This uh, is this uh, is me no, yeah, I know, pushing I know, I know. the button. You're but Ezra,
1: Ezra, <laughs> Ezra, in a cuter top. <laughs> I remember.
2: We don't know what he's I remember right now. the era don't. of You're smoke. right. You don't I know. remember
1: the era of smoke-filled rooms at conventions. I don't really think our party wants to be the one to go back to a smoke-filled room. And that's what it would be at the convention. There'd be people cutting deals. You They'd know, be running around. No, you wouldn't know. Look at the delegates is, at Democratic convention. You do not want those people picking. No, the you do not. <laughs> <laughs> I say with that with affection for my people from Missouri, but you but, really, you, you, it, it is just, it's just not a realistic. And frankly, if you look at the polling right now, look at the polling. Go out there and pull it up right now. Trump versus Gavin Newsom. Trump versus.
3: Uh, who else? Gretchen w- Whitmer, Gre- Kamala I mean, Harris.
1: He's beating Biden, him by Biden way more than, than, than he's everybody. Beating Biden.
3: Now, part of that is name ID, but still, it's like, first of all, the other thing is that the other thing with this is that if Biden stepped aside, people were like, oh, he'd be seen as this hero and it's so magnanimous. No, he would be seen as a loser because that is what would happen with the press. And then the Democrats would be seen as panicked. And like in a tailspin and everything that you just all that those things that you listed off as achievements would all would would go away. They would be it would be it would be seen as like the Democrats on like massive defense. Now, the time to have done this was last was this time last year. And I think the reason why no one because I thought I thought like Newsom might be the one to challenge Biden, even if Biden was going to was running for reelection. Obviously, that didn't happen. And I think it's because at that point, Biden had a great real, a great midterm, a great state of the union, as you may recall, the trip to Kiev. That seemed like that was such a power move. And then it's like, there are all these really talented people, everybody you just named, Whitmer, Harris, Newsom. And they looked at it and they thought, I can't beat Biden and beat Trump. And they didn't do it. So if someone thought they could do it. They would have done it. They would have done it.
2: So, are Whit- Whitmer, Newsom, Harris—I uh, don't know—Westmore, Shapiro, Shapiro. Are these are these the up-and-comers. Yeah. Is this the next generation. It's a, generation? Quite a, bench. It's a don't phenomenal our Kentucky bench. governor,
1: Andy Bashir. Bashir. Yeah. Beshear is really good. I'm really got, happy got I got great, that as quickly th- as I did. Four years from now, four years from now, there'll be it'll be a really good
3: set. Chris Murphy, Amy Klobuchar. So there's a phenomenal bunch. Now they're all really good at winning their states, like Josh Shapiro, Gresham, You know, these are battleground states. Uh, Tony Evers in Wisconsin. So you know, it's so weird that we've ended up with two old white guys. It's so weird, y'all. I think about it. I think about it all the time because obviously that didn't happen by accident, right? Like there's something about. This time period and the battle of the sort of old school titans still have there's something larger happening here. But that is where we are. And Biden has been, the you know, he he's the one that won that primary. There are a lot of options and everyone backed him pretty overwhelmingly. And, you know, he's he has done a good job leading those great governors. And so I think that this is even if we could do it differently, I wouldn't. I think this is our best shot. A quick pause here, but when we return,
1: more from How to Win 2024, live from the 92nd Street Y. Hi,
3: I'm Nyla Boodoo, host of One Big Thing from Axios. Every week, I talk to leaders you know or need to know in business, politics, and culture.
0: We're not going to be changing the world if we don't take some risk. We can't live Burying our heads. This technology is here.
3: We're going
2: about it the wrong way because we don't know the stuff to go for.
3: Interviews, ideas, and context, all in 20 minutes or less. That's one big thing from Axios. Find us every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I have some great questions from the audience, and I want to get to at least a few of them before we run out of time. Uh, should Biden debate Trump? Sure, absolutely.
1: No kidding. Quit being, <laughs> quit being so afraid, you guys. You know, quit being so afraid. Yeah, we need, to, be fine. we
3: need to see him. We need to see him screw up. We need to see him answer a serious question. You an ice cream cone and 30 Rock. I think that the antidote from the her report and we everybody freaked out on February 8th when that came out um, is that Biden doesn't do a ton of interviews. He takes questions from the press multiple times a week. And when you see that, you see he knows what he's doing. He screws up. He's going to continue to screw up, just like we need to see a lot of it, so it's not a big deal when it happens. If you guys
1: haven't watched Lawrence O'Donnell do 25 minutes on what the job of president actually is. Yeah, that was really good. um, Pull it up and listen to it, because I think people don't understand. It's not a Jeopardy contest. (laughs) You know, I mean, you have—he has an amazing cabinet. He has surrounded himself with some of the most competent people in America. I mean, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And they are executing flawlessly. There's no ethical scandals. They're getting things done. They're providing great leadership in this country. He is there for moments of judgment, and he has wisdom, and he's applying that wisdom. And just because he's not as facile on his feet, or he is—and believe me, I've known this guy a while now. There have been times that he's been campaigning for me that I affectionately wanted to pull his coat and go, okay, Joe— it's enough, you don't have to talk any longer. He's always been somebody who has maybe talked a little too long and made gaffes. This is nothing new. And so I, I think it's getting overblown. And frankly, um, part of it is because, you know,
2: we in the media, we need things to be interesting. I, 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 I reject that this is a media construct. This is, people are talking about this. I agree I, they're I, talking about it, but
1: we are talking about his age way more than we're talking about Trump's age, way more, way more. And Trump is just as old
2: and makes just as many gaffes. Voters see Biden. More gaffes, yeah. And Trump makes a lot of gaffes, obviously. <laughs> he doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I would, even in 2016, I would try to write down what he said at a, at a rally, and I'd get a whole paragraph, and I'd read it, and he would contradict himself 13 times in the one right. paragraph. It made no. It actually made no sense reading it on paper, he doesn't make, he's never made sense. But is that part of the problem for Democrats is that Donald Trump, he's changed, yes, he's, he's not the same Donald Trump as he was in 2016. He's making more gaffes. he's making less sense, but he didn't make sense in the first place. So the change isn't as noticeable. Well, to me, and of course, I, you know, I obviously, I come in it with
1: a bias because I had a lot of personal one-on-one conversations with the president, not lately, but many, many times. To me, he doesn't seem that different. He really doesn't.
3: Oh, because like people just didn't see him go on for too long, you know, prior to being president.
2: Well, and yeah, and
1: they, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, he just yeah. doesn't yeah.
2: seem that different. Um, okay, I've got some other good ones. Let's talk about um, Generation Z. Uh, how will the millions of newly eligible Generation Z voters joining the electorate since 2020, myself included, hello in the crowd, shape the election? Well,
1: you have more power than you realize. I'll never forget the time that um, i I was stubborn sometimes on campaigns and I wanted to do things that the staff didn't think I should do. And I wanted to do this college tour. And they had this intervention with me, and they said, every moment you spend on a college campus is not as valuable as a moment you'll spend in a nursing home. And the reason why we tackled prescription drug, drug prices way before we tackled college tuition was because older people vote and younger people don't. So if younger people figure out the power they have, they can dictate this election. I'm just not sure that we have gotten that generation yet. I hope I'm wrong. I've got kids in that generation. Have you I said hope this that, on TikTok? Yeah, well, um, you know, my kids are on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. But um, I, I do think that climate and women's rights and these, this is a generation that's been doing classroom drills uh, to avoid a gun massacre Uh, since they were very, very young. Uh, They have the power if they'll take it, and I hope they do, because if they do, I think we'll win this election by a much more comfortable
2: margin. All right, another great one. Um, What happens in a post-Mitch McConnell Senate? How does the leadership fight evolve, and how do some of the more moderate Republicans react? Claire? Claire? The
1: difference between a leadership election in the Senate and a leadership election in the House is in the Senate, it's very personal. You know each other really well. You know who you can trust. You know who you can't trust. You know who you like. You know who you want having power and who you want nowhere near power. And so because it's so personal, no one will get elected leader that is a performance artist, like in the House. I mean, the idea that Marjorie Taylor Greene gets the coverage she gets is just mind-blowing to me. But she's a performance artist. She is a, a, a performer. She is not a leader. She's a performer. And in the Senate, if you're a performer, you're not respected. And we have a bunch of performers in the Republican Party now in the caucus. They are performing for Trump. They're performing for the Trump base. But they are not popular in that caucus. And you know who else is not popular in that caucus? Donald Trump. Now, they won't say it out loud. Shame on them. But I do believe the next leader will be somebody who is not associated with that far-right MAGA world. Still the majority of the Republicans, even after the election, even assuming that people get elected. But look, you know, if Hogan gets elected, he's not going to be part of that crowd. If McCormick gets elected, he's not going to be part of that crowd. I don't think Katie Britt is really part of that crowd. So I don't think you're going to have something like you have in the House, in the Senate. Now, that doesn't mean it won't be terrible if the Republicans have the majority. Um, It will be if the president is reelected, then, you know, we'll have trouble with judges and we'll have trouble with a lot of things. But I'm not as worried about the
2: Senate becoming Trumpian like the House has become. Um, Are they going to be this new elected leader as effective as Mitch McConnell? Talk about fundraising. I mean, which is such a big deal for these senatorial campaigns. Well,
1: I think one of McConnell's legacies besides what he did with the Supreme Court. The other big legacy is campaign finance. There is no one who worked harder to stop campaign finance laws than Mitch McConnell. There is no one who believes more in dark money. There is no one who celebrated more the Citizens United decision, which I think, I used to say, was the worst Supreme Court decision of my lifetime. It's now the second worst.
2: Um, but it, it, he is the master of dark money. But didn't it enable the second decision? Didn't (laughs) Citizens United lay the groundwork for that second decision?
1: And I don't think people realize the kind of money that's going on behind the curtain. There has never been more dirty money, giant checks behind the scenes in American politics ever than right now because of Citizens United. And Mitch McConnell made that happen. He wanted that. He worked for it. He was pleased with it. So I don't think anybody will ever master that the way he had. He worked pharma. He worked big oil. He worked everybody to get those giant checks behind the scenes. I always said in my campaign, if Missourians only knew who was funding my opponent, they'd be proud of me. (laughs) But they didn't know. And I couldn't say it because it's secret. So I don't think anybody will be as good at raising money as he, he has been. And the business community has softened a little bit on the Republican Party. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but they don't like the chaos. Businesses want certainty. They want predictability in the tax code. They want predictability in trade laws. They want predictability in regulation. They want less of it, but they still want predictability. And Trump doesn't give them any of that. So I I do think that the next Republican leader will still have a lot of business money that will come to him, especially if they're not Trumpian.
2: I want to ask you something I asked you backstage. Does Mitch McConnell regret not voting to convict Donald Trump and not telling his colleagues that he was going to vote to convict him? I I think it's a really good question.
1: And I'd like to give him some truth serum. I know he can't stand him. I know the majority of the Republicans I served with can't stand him. I used to go over, I told you the story, Katie, I used to go over um, when they'd come back from a meeting at the White House and a group of them would be standing. I could tell they'd just come from the White House meeting with Trump. And I'd walk over and say, well, how was it? And they would just look at me and just say, he has no idea what he's doing. They had a meeting on healthcare. He didn't even understand what the healthcare marketplace was. He didn't even know, didn't care, or you know, didn't bother to find out. They were appalled at how bad he was at the job of being president, but they didn't have the courage to stand up. If Mitch had stood up, along with a few others besides Susan, Lisa, and Mitt. Um, I think we might have had a different outcome on the second impeachment, I really do, because people were still shell-shocked over what happened that day, over what happened in, in the Senate chamber. You know, it's hard for me to even talk about it. Um, it was a brutal thing to watch. Um, they were defecating in their offices. And they were attacking police officers. And there was still a lot of emotion about what Trump had brought to to their doorstep, and I think if they would have stood up, then
2: it, we might have had a different ending. All right, um, let's get another question from the audience. Uh, what if uh, Joe Biden wins,
3: and Donald Trump doesn't accept the results? Oh, I know. I mean, that's definitely going to happen. Um, I think, well, the good thing is everyone is conditioned to hear that, right? I was really worried in 2020 that that would happen and that the public wouldn't know how to react to that. He's a sitting president. Um, He has, you know, a lot of powers of incumbency at his fingertips, uh, that the courts would not back that up. But I feel that, you know, fortunately, he doesn't have to give up power this time, Right. But we're gonna have to brace for all of it again, you know, brace for the court cases. I know, I mean, there are some really effective lawyers on the Democratic side, Mark is sort of chief among them, uh, that are preparing for this. And um it's gonna yeah, you know, it'll be the same kind of battle. The thing that I worry about is at the county level and some of these. Uh, battleground states, that they um, made changes, the Republican Party made changes um, where they could control county, the make of the composition of these boards and some crazy, you know, MAGA folks on these boards now that can make it um, uglier. But yeah, I would brace for the, you know, from November 5th, I think the election day is the 5th, to the 20th of January. Not going to be, you know, I'm worried about that.
1: And remember remember when he got indicted and he, he tried to get everybody to come out and protest? Remember he said... The streets are going to, you know, the country will not stand for this. And remember the streets of New York? It was like they put up all those barriers and it was just block after block of barrier without a person in sight. Um, I'm not saying, and you know, I know a guy in Missouri who has been to 17 Trump rallies. You know, I mean, the people who go to these rallies aren't necessarily from where the rally is. You know this. You've been there. They travel around. So I think we get this outsized view that, and, and not that there weren't a lot of people on January 6th and not that it, that wasn't horrible, but I don't think the second time around it would be as brutal as it was the first time around. I think people have seen this sh- movie before and knows how, know how it turns out. And they out. know
2: that they can b- get put in jail. Absolutely, go to prison. Um, yeah. The There's a question. lot of Trump
3: signs that came down in my neighborhood around January 10th, 11th. <laughs> yeah. like, I think <laughs> the FBI knocked on some doors. Uh, okay, last question. Uh, this one also from the crowd.
2: What do I tell my grandkids? I'm worried about their future. Will they live in a democracy?
1: Yes. I... I'm getting ready to have um, my daughter will have my 15th grandchild. Oh, my gosh. On Super Tuesday. <laughs> on Super Tuesday. Uh, she is going to be induced on Monday night. And, um, and I'm not going to be there for the birth, but I'm going to fly down there right after the State of the Union to be there to, to babysit uh, my three-year-old granddaughter who will have a new baby brother. And I'm telling my grandchildren that the democracy that they live in will be up to them. And I think the more we, I was very blessed. I had a mother and father that had us all sit down and watch the evening news every night. And back in those days, this is how old I am, older than dirt. I, uh, it was either Walter Cronkite or Huntley and Brinkley. We would sit down and we would watch the news for 30 minutes. Then the TV would go off. We'd sit down and have dinner and my parents would make us talk about it what we saw on the news. They instilled in us at a very young age that the world was big and it was bigger than our lives and bigger than what I wanted to wear to school the next day. There were things we should care about beyond our immediate family and our immediate friends. And so what I tell my grandchildren is find something you believe in and start working on it now. And if we instill that in our grandkids then we don't need to worry about our democracy we're going to be fine and i do think our democracy will survive i really do this is a this is a pothole it is a horrible chapter in our history, but I do think we'll get past it and I do think we'll be okay. Well, and
3: look how democracy is is answering the call. You know, more people are voting than ever. There's been there, I mean, it's just it's a struggle because there are all these states that, you know, it's never been easier to vote in Michigan. You know, there's never been easy to vote in a lot of a lot of blue states, and they're making it harder And red. So it is a struggle, but the way the democracy, I mean, I remember thinking after Hillary lost, I was like, okay. This is either going to get saved from the ground up or not at all. Like it was way too, you know, politics have become way too much of a game. But now I, I think that we're energized by the fight and it will it will either survive and be really strong and it'll be the grassroots level. There'll be new state legislators, there'll be people and Gen Z that are running, not just voting, but running for office. And I do think that, you know, I'm an optimist, but I do believe that is that trajectory that we are that we are on.
2: All right, we're going to end it there. Claire McCaskill, <laughs> Jen Palmieri, thank you very much. How to Win 2024.
3: A very special thanks to Katie Turr, anchor of MSNBC's Katie Turr Reports weekdays at 3 p.m. And thanks so much for listening. As always, if you have a question for us, you can send it to at nbcuni.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 646-974-4194, and we might answer it on the pod. So I have to add a Midwest note here. That is Katie Chur's show at 3
1: p.m. Eastern time. But for <laughs> those of you in the heartland, the Midwest, where America's heart beats strongest, that is 2 p.m. Central time. This episode was produced by Vicki Vergolina, Paul Monsey, Catherine Anderson, and Bob Mallory, our audio engineers, our head of audio production, is Bryson Barnes, Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio, and Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice
3: president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series.
0: Go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows, and the latest updates on the 2024 election. Visit msnbc.com app to download.